Welcome to Church Online. And man, let me just take a second to brag on God this morning. You know, I've talked to people all over the country. I've talked to missionaries all over the world. And God is doing big things, even in spite of uh, us not getting to physically meet together at the church. Uh, you know, what it reminds me of, and, and I said it last week, uh, the will and the work of God will not be stopped. God is bigger than our problems. God is bigger than our circumstances. And so, hey, I just want to welcome you uh, into my house today. And uh, I know you've allowed me to be in your house the last few weeks. And so thank you for joining us online. Some of you are watching this live and some of you will get to watch this uh, later. But I just want to say thank you for joining us here at Hallmark Baptist Church. We're glad to have you a part of our church. And uh, we're continuing our series, uh, the series that was entitled uh, God Never Said That. And so we oftentimes misquote God or we uh, just make up statements and we say God said that when he never did. Uh, for instance, since God is good, life is always good. This is not a true statement. God never said that. In fact, Scripture really reveals the opposite of, of that, that God doesn't, you know, life doesn't have to be good in order for God to be good. But one thing I've been thinking about that really hit me this week as I was thinking through these statements, these misquotes, God never said that, is that they all kind of have one thing in common, and that is a me-centered theology. For instance, you know, since God is good, life is always good, it's focused on me and my life and my wants and my desires. Um, God will never give me more than I can handle. Again, you see the focus on me twice. God will never give me more than I can handle. And so it's a very me-centered, not God-centered theology. The safest place for me to be is in the center of God's will. Again, the focus is on me. And the focus, even specifically in that one, is that the focus is on me and my security and my safety and how I feel when the reality is our focus needs to be on God and His purpose and His plan for, for our life. And so the focus needs to shift. Um, so the one I want to think about today is, and I'll be uh, completely transparent with you, I've been wrestling with uh, really for a couple of weeks. Uh, Chad Morton first made this statement as we were kind of throwing out ideas on misquotes or those things that God had never said. And, and here's the statement. God helps those who help themselves. Uh, Monday evening, I, I walked here in the living room and uh, my wife, like always, was watching Fox News. And uh, as soon as I walked in, I was still wrestling with, what are we, what are we going to talk about this Sunday? What does God want to teach us this week? Uh, and a, a senator was asked a question. His immediate response there on, on Fox News, uh, News was, um, God helps those who help themselves. He made the exact statement for me. Uh, in fact, I'm going to put the statement in the comments below and you can watch the little short clip on Fox News. But as he made this statement, I, I kind of went to bed Monday night thinking about it. Uh, Joy and I, you know, one of the benefits of us being home more often is that we've spent a lot of time walking. In fact, uh, in the last two weeks, we've walked uh, close to or maybe a little more than 100 miles. Um, and so Tuesday morning, we went out walking and I'm, I'm wrestling with this thought. Is, is, it, is that wrong? Is that statement true or is that statement false? God helps those who help themselves. And so we really, for a couple miles, just back and forth, we're wrestling with, 
I, I think it's true. I, I think that's an accurate statement. Um, I mean, I, I'm not going to find that exact quote in the Bible, but I, I think that's true. But I, I think maybe it's a half-truth. Um, and I think we could change it a little bit and make it true. But here, here's why I think I was wrestling with it so much. Because the statement really seems to fit our culture. The statement seems to fit like the American ideology or the American dream. Uh, you've heard the statement, I'm sure, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. And everything in our culture points to us being independent, uh, us handling our problems, us fixing it. And I, I mean, I've been raised my whole life to think that way. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that's completely uh, something we shouldn't teach. But when we think about in biblical terms and how we stand with God and how we relate with God, now there's some tension. And so I'm wrestling with this tension is, and, and even thinking, you know, um, did God say that? Did we get that from the Bible? Because a lot of people think it's in the Bible. Um, some people believe that, that that quote, God helps those who help themselves, was originated with ben, uh, Benjamin Franklin uh, in the 1700s. Uh, but he actually wrote about it and probably made that statement famous. But it goes back even farther into Greek mythology. Uh, supposedly, uh, the myth is, uh, according to the Greeks, is that there was a, a man driving his wagon, a, a wagoneer. He lost a will. He cries out to Hercules in his desperation, help me, Hercules. And here's the response that he gets from Hercules. Again, according to Greek mythology, here's the response. Man, don't sprawl there. Get up and put your shoulder to the wheel. The gods help them that help themselves. So when I think about this statement and the American culture and the context in which I grew up in, everything teaches me to be independent, to handle it. To fix it. And then I think of Scripture. Well, Paul said in Thessalonians, if anyone doesn't work, they shouldn't eat. And then uh, King Solomon in Proverbs chapter 6 says, uh, go to the ant, you sluggard. That's a word we don't use anymore, but basically saying, model your life after the ant. Don't be lazy. The ants work hard. Don't be a lazy person. And so in these two scriptures, again, with my context of how I grew up and my Western mindset, maybe this statement is true. God does help those who help themselves. But here's the statement that is true. Okay, um, God doesn't help those who are lazy. Okay, God wants us to work and God expects us to work and God expects us to steward the resources he's given us, whether that's the gifting and to be able to get a job and to work. And, and so that is very clear in scripture. We're not to be lazy. And if we don't work, we shouldn't eat. Um, so let me change this statement. I think it's half true. God helps the helpless. It's not God helps those who help themselves. It's God helps the helpless. When we realize our dependence is on God, when we realize that it's not about self-help. And our bookstores and the internet and everywhere is filled with how you can become a better person. It's all about self-help. It's, again, about the ideology of the American dream that you can do it. You can handle it. You can make it happen. But what if we came to the point where we realized we were dependent on God, that we were helpless? Maybe a product or a byproduct of the very situation we find ourselves in now somewhat helpless? What if we believed 
that God could help us? What if we believed that God could protect us? What if we believed really God is in control? So I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 14. We're going to see a scene of, of the nation of Israel. They were helpless. Uh, Exodus chapter 14. Let me just give you a little bit of context. They've just come out of Egypt. Pharaoh's finally said, get out. The 10th plague came. Uh, it was the death of the firstborn. And so Moses finally gets to lead the people out. They're going out into the wilderness, out into the desert. Very quickly there in Exodus 14, as soon as Pharaoh lets Israelites go, uh, the Egyptian people get mad at Pharaoh. And they say, wait, you've gotten rid of all of our free labor, our slaves, our servants, and so go back after them. So now Pharaoh, he gets the armies together, the chariots together, and they're, they're going out to bring the Israelites back. And the Israelites find themselves trapped. They're helpless. On one side is the Red Sea, which they can't cross, especially not in time before the Egyptians come. And so behind them is the Egyptian army bearing down on them. In front of them is the Red Sea in which they can't cross and they're trapped, they're helpless, they're hopeless. And that's where we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 14. So look at verse number nine, Exodus 14, nine. So the Egyptians pursued them, all their horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army. They overtook them camping by the sea. They're, they're catching up. Verse number 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so they're scared. It says they were afraid. The children of Israel, they cried out to God, which that's a good response. When, when we're fearful, we, we should cry out to God. And then it goes south, verse 11. Then they said to Moses, because there are no graves in Egypt, have you brought us out here to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us? Why have you brought us out of Egypt? Now skip down to verse number 13. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Be still. And see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. The Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. Number 14. The Lord will fight for you. And you shall hold your peace. What an awesome two verses of scripture. Here's some simple things that you can pull out of that. What, what does God tell the people to do? Stand still. Not only stand still, but be quiet. You've seen the videos going around, right? The videos of Times Square, New York City with quiet, still. I, I saw the, the other day the one in Chicago, in downtown Chicago, and it's quiet. It's still. There's some truth to learn. That's what the psalmist said, be still and know that I'm God. So he says here, be still, be quiet, and let God fight for you. Now, you may be feeling helpless. You may feel like things are out of your control, and, and really, they are always out of our control. But it, that, that sense is, is heavier now, I think, and more present than we've ever felt. What God is saying, be still, be quiet, and let God fight for you. But let's keep reading. Uh, Moses gets some instructions in verses 15 and following there. Most of you are familiar with what he was supposed to do. Put the rod over the water and the Red Sea would part. And that's where we pick up in verse 19. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went before them and stood behind, the, behind them. Verse 20, so it came, uh, it came, the Spirit of God, the presence of God, 
between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that no one did not come near the other all the night. And, and what is this saying? The presence of God, the power of God presented itself there in that cloud, and it separated the two camps, the Egyptians on one in darkness, the Israelites on one in light. And God stood there. The presence and the power of God was protecting the nation of Israel. Between, it was between them and the enemy. What a great truth. Between you and your enemy, God is there. God is present. And nothing can get to you as a follower and a child of God. Nothing can get to you except it first passes through God. So we find the nation of Israel, they're helpless. They're trapped. And what's going to happen? What's going to take place? So in verses 21 through 25, we see they go across on dry ground and they get to the other side. And, and, and then the Egyptian army is now uh, about to enter and they're about to go take over. They're going to they're cross the same way the Israelites did. And yet God uh, causes the disturbance. Their wheels of their chariots fall off. And then God, as the Egyptians go across, let's read what takes place. Verse number 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the seas so that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians and on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord, look at verse, that verse there, verse 27. So the Lord, he overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. I love those three words. So the Lord. God said, if you'll be still, you'll be quiet, I'll fight for you. And in verse 27, it says, so the Lord, he overthrew the Egyptians. Skip down to verse number 30, and it starts out with those same three words. So the Lord. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead and on the seashore. Thus Israel saw a great work which what the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant Moses. Again, let's just pull three things about this. When we think about being helpless, and maybe you, I don't know about you, but uh, last Sunday night, when, when the president came on, and my anticipation, my hope, and kind of what I had been looking forward to, it seemed like maybe there was a possibility that we could all gather back in our own church buildings together on Easter Sunday. And then you heard the news, just like I heard the news. Sunday night, and, and President Trump says and, until April, the end of April, we're still going to be under quarantine. And I don't know about you, but I just felt, I felt this heaviness. And, and some of you, it's come and it's gone and you've had waves of, of feeling helpless. And, and I can't really remember another time in my life in where I felt more, more helpless. I talked to about 30 missionaries Monday morning and that word continued to come up, helpless and useless. I think about right now in our own church family. You know, we have a member of our church who is at the hospital who has tested positive for COVID-19. And, and as the pastor, I feel like I need, I, I want to be there. And I can't be. 
I can't even go see his wife. And there's this feeling of helplessness. And so what, what could we learn from this passage of Scripture? Well, one thing we can learn is this. God says, be still and be quiet. Rest in God. He goes on to say what, what the Israelites learned from this experience was that they would fear God. They would not fear the Egyptians. We would fear God, not our circumstances. We would fear God, not a virus. We would fear God and insert whatever fear you might have. We're going to be still. We're going to be quiet. We're going to fear God. And the third thing we see there in verse 33, they feared God and they believed God. Be still, fear God, and believe God. Believe that He will fight for you. Believe that He will defend you. Believe that He will protect you. I read this statement by Mark Batterson this week. I want to share it with you. Faith is not logical. Faith is not illogical. Faith is theological. In other words, faith is adding God to the equation. We're going to have to have faith. Even though we feel helpless, we, re- we must realize, here's the statement, God helps those who are helpless. You know, there's another area that I want us to think about this helpless situation. Of course, we're thinking uh, in, in the immediate right now and how the whole world has kind of come to a standstill and we feel helpless and do I have the virus? Am I going to get the virus? Is my family going to get the virus? But there's another situation in which we have all been helpless. We were born helpless. You see, the Bible says we are born into sin, and because of our sin, we're separated from a holy, righteous God. And so we're all helpless. The Bible teaches us that none are righteous, no, not one, that all are sinners and all deserve death. We all deserve punishment. We're all helpless. But I want, to, I want you to look at a verse of Scripture in Titus chapter 3, and Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7 simply say this. Verse 4 says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. I love that. The kindness and the love of God appeared to man. Who, who's it speaking of? It's speaking of Jesus. And then verse 5 says, Not by works of my righteousness. It's not about what I do, because I'm helpless. It's not about the righteousness that we have done, but according to God's mercy, He saved us. He rescues us. He helps the helpless. How does He save us? Through the washing, the regeneration, and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6 then says, Whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ. Again, think about this. It's the kindness and love of God that appeared toward man. It was Jesus. Jesus appeared. Well, Paul said it this way. God demonstrated His love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then verse 7 here in Titus 3 says, that we, having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, all of religion could be summed up in one word. The word is do. However, Christianity could also be summed up in one word. What Jesus teaches in the Bible could be summed up in one word. And that word is done. You see, religion tells me I have to be good enough. I have to do this. I have to do that. I can't do that. I can't do this. But what the Bible teaches me is Jesus did it all. He made a way 
for me who was born in a helpless situation to enter in the presence of God. And what Jesus said is, He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. So we're all born helpless. And that verse here in Titus tells us that we can be heirs of God. That we can be heirs with God. What does that mean? It means we're a child of God. So you understand that we're all born by God. God creates us. God allows us to be born. God creates and forms us. But we're not born children of God. You see, we're born into sin. And so what this verse is saying is that we can become heirs. Verse uh, 7 says, Having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So how can we be an heir? How can we be a child of God? It's a great question for us all to wrestle with, for all of us to think about. And the answer is in our passage here. It's by God's mercy and His grace. You see, He sent His Son to die in my place, and the work is finished. I simply have to believe, you know, there's three steps, really, to become a child of God, to be an heir of God, to receive His grace and His love. It's simple. A is I'm going to admit that I'm a sinner, that I'm born into sin and I am helpless. I'm going to believe that Jesus died for me. A, admit. B, believe that Jesus died in my place. And that's what Scripture teaches us. God demonstrated His love toward us that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm going to admit, I'm going to believe, and see. I'm going to confess my faith in Jesus. I'm going to confess that the only way I can get to God, the only road that leads to heaven is through Jesus. So, are you a child of God? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Have you followed these three steps? I'm going to admit, I'm going to believe, I'm going to confess. And if you've never done that, could I just invite you and encourage you to do it right now? It's simply praying to God and you may pray something like this. You could repeat the words that I'm praying, that I'm saying, and you can make that a prayer to God or you can use your own words, but you may say something like this, God, I know I'm a sinner and I admit that. God, I believe that Jesus died for me to, to pay the penalty of my sin. God, I confess that Jesus is Lord. I ask you to save me and to forgive me and to rescue me from my helpless situation. I would encourage you today, if you prayed that prayer, Wherever you're at, whenever you watch this, would you simply send me a text? The number's on the screen here, and, and, and just simply text me. And all you have to say is, I gave my life to Jesus. Just the number is right there on the screen. Get your phone out and send me a text. I gave my life to Jesus. I want to celebrate with you. I want to encourage you. I want to send you some more information that would help you continue connect with God and and. Congratulations. If you prayed that prayer, what we just read is that you now are a child of God. These promises we're talking about, what God tells us as children of God, if we would be still, if we would be quiet, if we would have fear in God, not in circumstances, 
if we would simply trust, believe that God will fight for us, God will protect us, God will provide for us, and God will allow our faith in Him to grow. You see, life's most challenging and fearful situations, what we're facing now, what we're in the middle of right now, can honestly be the best opportunities for us to grow our faith in God and to realize how powerful and how good and how great God is. You see, I read this this week. Faith is the art of holding on to things that, you reason, that your reason has once accepted in spite of your circumstances or your emotions. Faith is believing in spite of what you see. So as his children, could I encourage you? I know there's some doubt in your mind right now. I know there's got to be fear. And I know like me, maybe you feel sometimes a little hopeless and helpless. Would, would you join me in simply being still, being quiet, fearing God, and believing? God is bigger than my problems. God can handle it. You see, we should never doubt in the dark what God has revealed to us in the light. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for this, this scripture this, this morning that reminds us that when we are helpless, you help the helpless. Lord, I pray that we would, as we continue these days of days of uncertainty, days of even lacking faith, that we would, we would be still and know that you are God, that we would rest in the promises that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us, that we'll rest in the truth that, God, you are an ever-present help in time of need, and that we would cry out to you, and we would serve you, Lord, with faith and without fear. And it's in the precious and powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.